You're listening to a very festive Lid Is On with me, Connor Lennon. The end of the year in most parts of the world is upon us, and if you go to the UN News page, you'll find a whole bunch of year-in-review features on some of the big UN topics like peace and security, health and climate, alongside, of course, our regular news footage. So I thought we should go behind the scenes today so you can meet some of the secret UN News stars with no byline. The idea here is to find out a bit about my guests, find out how they hack their way through the acronyms, the jargon, to explain how the UN has made a positive difference in 2022. Now, in case you didn't know, UN News is in nine languages, one of which is Arabic. Amey Yaqub, the head of the Arabic unit, is with us. Assalamu alaikum, May. Wa alaikum salam, Connor, thank you. <laughs> now, May, I think it's fair to say you are a one-person translation service. You speak five languages, so you can do this show on your own, I reckon. Oh, my God. Translate thanks. live. No. Chinese. Let's talk about Chinese. We were learning Chinese together when we could. Indeed. When we could find time. How's that going? Indeed. I'm uh, really uh, not finding the time, but here I am uh, re-enrolling again. Uh, so this is my new resolution for this year. So I will oh, be re-enrolling. How? How? <laughs> okay, we'll speak some more <laughs> Chinese <laughs> later in the show. <laughs> now we also have our hotshot climate specialist, Lara Quinones. Hello, Lara. Hi. Nice to hear you again, Connor. Well, yeah, because we were talking on a daily basis at yep. exhaustive length about COP. In Egypt. In Egypt, yes, for many days. We're slowly getting over that. Uh, I have to say, Lara, <laughs> how can I introduce you? I'm going to introduce you as a professional heartbreaker. What? That sounds intriguing, Connor. Yeah. Well, she abandoned the Spanish unit to join the English unit. <laughs> then she abandoned the English unit to join the Food and Agriculture Organization in Rome. From where she's speaking right now. From where she's speaking right now. I hope the coffee's woman. worth it, Lara. Who are you going to... Whose heart are you going to break next? I don't know. Well, you've broken my heart already. You just told me that you're having truffles after we record this show. Yeah. It's got my taste buds going. Another specialty from Laura. You think she's going off for a sandwich. She's done this many times. So I'm just going off for lunch. And then she's a keynote speaker, some high-profile event. She's a cop. Oh, I'm just going off. And then she's speaking at some packed event. Do you remember she did at the GA? We turn on web TV and suddenly we look at the GA, the General Assembly building, and there's this massive screen with Lara's face all over it. At some, we're like, what's going on? Are you doing this again in Rome? Oh, well, I certainly hope so. I still have to work my way up through it. No, but, I'm sure um, she's going to pop yeah, up again. She will. And last but not least, Tyneside's very own Matt Wells, the head of the English unit. Why, I pet. Hey, bonnie lad. How you doing, man? Uh-huh. Right. Northeast dialect we can teach everyone a bit later. <laughs> That's a good one. And I think, Matt, you are the only one of us who's performed at Carnegie Hall, am I right? That's correct, yeah. I sang Did a, you know that? A, a, no, that's a news for me. I would very, love to hear more. Very high-stakes choral piece. Right, this was the Carnegie, not, not a deli called Carnegie Absolutely Hall. This not. was the actual <laughs> Carnegie Hall. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, it was a, one of my most memorable, but also one of my scariest uh, evenings spent in New York in my 20-plus years living here. That's crazy. So hang on, how did this yeah. happen? Um, I was um, singing in a, in a, in a choir, uh, and choral singing has been my kind of number one hobby since I was just a, just a wee boy. Not just any choir, the UN choir. <laughs> no, it wasn't the UN choir, actually. Oh, I'm afraid I, not. Right. No, it, was a, it, was, it was a different choir. It was, it was well over a decade ago. Um, but we were, we were singing a much-beloved kind of American classic piece um, under the baton of a very famous conductor who swanned in from the West Coast and uh, took us all by the scruff of the neck. But we, you know, we had only a few hours to kind of get ourselves prepared under his baton. And uh, wow. it, it, it was genuinely very scary because uh, the rehearsal did not go well. But uh, the final uh, product, the final uh, performance was, was, was 
fantastically good. Flowers so, and great not memories. Not a dry in eye in the house. Absolutely not. Can you give us a bar no. or two? I, I don't think I can remember the piece we even said. <laughs> <laughs> but at least you delivered, guys. I mean, yeah, you're telling exactly. me it's fantastic, even though yeah. the rehearsal was not good. And yeah, it was great. This it was is great. Awesome. Just oh. a, uh, you know the kind of byproduct you know that you that you get from living in a, in a fantastic international mm. city like New York. Absolutely. Well, hopefully you can remember a couple of bars. You've got a bit of time because we'll start with you, May. Now, the idea was to find out a bit more about you and also to find out about some of the stories that we cover and how we do things a bit differently here. Stories that show, I think, that the UN has made a positive difference over the year. And I asked you to to think back over the last 12 months. And what did you come up with? One of them, and it's most dear to my heart, is what is UNIFIL and UNMAS are doing in south of Lebanon. And I here I want to point out to Miss Zaina Saleh, who is one of UNMAS and UNIFIL uh, team uh, working on clearing uh, the south of Lebanon from mines and and unexplosive ordnance. Yes, I remember this story. So first of all, let's remind us, what are are UNIFIL and UNMAS? So UNIFIL is basically the UN uh, mission in south of Lebanon that was um, mandated by the Security Council to, uh, you know, establish peace in south of Lebanon after the war uh, of 2006. Of course, uh, UNIFIL is not only about maintaining peace, which is of course, its primary mission, but also it's doing great job, great deal among the civil uh, society uh, in, ca- in, in terms of, uh, for example, um, uh, uh, allowing them to uh, have more training, uh, for example, on, uh, let's say, education, uh, uh, about how to do uh, their own uh, uh, things at home, like repairing homes. Uh, they actually went on the ground and repaired and helped repairing schools that are damaged. Uh, their their um, medical team uh, are also on the ground uh, when COVID hit uh, the worst and they were delivering vaccine and, and helping the community, raising awareness about COVID and how to uh, prevent uh, catching the virus, etc. So UNIFIL is not only doing its job as maintaining peace, but more helping the society to go about their daily lives and, and uh, help them in economically and also uh, educationally. So is it fair to say that if it, UNIFIL was not there, that whole region would be very different? I believe so. I can fairly say that uh, uh, it is the case, actually, uh, especially coming from Lebanon. And I know uh, firsthand uh, uh, how things are different now because of the help that is uh, uh, you know, delivered by UNIFIL. So you were talking about UNMAT, so the mine service, Indeed. and one very brave person in particular. Uh, her name, as I, as I mentioned, is Zaina Saleh. She's part of a group of UNMAS uh, team, women team, women and men. But uh, why I would like to uh, you know, highlight her, because she was uh, uh, given an award, actually, for her service in UN Mine Action uh, in UNMAS in South Lebanon. And uh, it's, it's, about, it's the UN General, uh, Secretary General Award for addressing the gender imbalance in the field of explosive ordnance disposal. So Zena is leading a team of women who are basically on the ground clearing mines in South Lebanon. And uh, they've done a great deal. They've done well. And uh, hence the award given to her and her team. And you can find that story in Arabic, many of the other of the nine UN languages, and of course, in English. Indeed. You know, you all heard about the infamous explosion, Beirut port explosion in 2020, 
for August. Everyone, actually, mm. every family in Lebanon has a... I have my own story about that, actually one of my family members. But let me focus here on what the UN did after, in the aftermath of um, this... Uh, explosion that, like I said, affected mostly everyone in, in Lebanon too. It's an entry for the country. So one of the important buildings that they were damaged because of this explosion is the central pharmaceutical warehouse in Carantina region. Carantina is very close to the port. So it holds every single medicine that you can think of that Lebanon needs, including vaccines for children, including uh, uh, medicine for cancers, amophilia, many diseases. The warehouse itself was badly damaged due to the explosion with the help of WHO, which is the uh, World Health Organization, and UNICEF, the team of uh, UNICEF and WHO uh, and uh, uh, the worker at the warehouse were able to transfer all the medicines to the uh, warehouse around the country within one week, saving hundreds and hundreds of lives. Why I'm saying that? Because as you may know, Lebanon is facing a multifaceted, unfortunately, multifaceted crisis, crisis including health crisis, uh, we lack medicine, we lack many uh, uh, medical equipment in the country due to the economic and social uh, crisis. So thank you from here to everyone who contributed in saving those medicines and, uh, you know, potentially saving lives. How are things now when you talk to people at home? Are they hopeful for the future? Okay, you know, uh, Connor, I was able to visit my family during this summer. It has been um, maybe four years, four years before it, well, well, yeah, it's been since 2018. So Thanks the, to the pandemic. I yes, mean. before the yeah. pandemic, exactly. So as you know, pandemic shut everything down. So this summer was uh, I was able to visit my family. And I tell you, uh, the the difference was he, I was so shocked, so surprised. I mean, I go every, I was going every other year to Lebanon. But this time, things were different for me. Uh, uh, there's no middle classes anymore. Uh, the dollar in terms of like the, the value of the lira, the Lebanese lira, is so deflated. Um, so now I guess every 40,000 Lebanese lira would make a dollar. Wow. And this is huge. This is devastating for the family that they have a ordinary income, like they're, you know, let's say in the public sector, uh, the teachers, the one uh, in, in, in um, let's say, uh, the army, the military service, all that, who are in the public sector and they are gaining their uh, salary in Lebanese lira. Now they are barely making uh, things even. They're barely breaking even. So It's going to take a while for the, for the country to, to bounce back. Indeed. Matt, so let's turn to you as the editor of the English page. You're across all of these stories, uh, including the ones that May was talking about, and you've picked out a few that you think were really significant. Yeah, I mean, I think let's start with Ukraine, which I think, you know, we can all agree has been uh, the most dominant story in terms of our, our overall news agenda for all, all language teams this year and in terms of how it's um, impacted the entire world. And, you know, also individual countries on, a, on an extremely... Uh, uh, profound level. Um, I think it's probably fair to start with uh, the first story, which I think is probably the the signature success of the UN um, in terms of how it's dealt with the fallout from the Ukraine war, and that's the the, the Secretary General's Black Sea Grain Initiative. Um, this was a deal that was struck in July, uh, and it involved uh, Ukraine, Russia, Turkey as a kind of br uh, brokering power and the United Nations itself. Um, 
and this was a, a practical solution to a problem that was having a devastating impact on, on the entire world in terms of the restrictions on food supplies um, of Ukrainian and Russian grain and products, um, which are essential, obviously, in terms of feeding the world. Um, but I, I think it's, uh, the, the statistic is that between them, between Russia and Ukraine, they're responsible for over a third of the world's grain supplies and key things like, uh, vet, like vegetable oils. So, um, obviously, with, with, a, with a war raging following Russia's invasion, um, this breadbasket of, 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 of Europe was, uh, was simply unable to deliver in terms of getting uh, these supplies to the world and especially the developing world which which was the main customer I believe of, of a lot of this Ukrainian grain so the UN the Secretary General in particular um, established a kind of uh, think tank to, to, to try and find what what the most effective way is that the UN could respond. And so, as a, result, as a result of that, and after much backroom diplomacy, the Black Sea Grain Initiative was born. And this essentially allowed um, uh, this Ukrainian grain to leave the Ukrainian ports via the Black Sea. And as of now, over 14 million tonnes has been, has been released um, and uh, shipped around the world to countries in need. The individual story I picked out wasn't, wasn't the, you know, the kind of triumphal piece uh, marking the the launch of this black sea grain initiative it was actually when when the initiative was was renewed because yeah. you know we're in an extremely tense and difficult uh, diplomatic situation here russia uh, for several days said it was going to suspend its involvement thanks to the event's diplomatic efforts um uh, and the good offices of turkey the deal was back on as of the 17th of November. So which, that which, was a story which I highlighted. Yeah, because there wasn't much optimism about it being read, was there? We're in, no. we're in a, a situation where there's so much mistrust on either side and propaganda and, and um, real enmity amongst the main actors in the Ukraine war. And it, it is, I mean, let's just break down how it works. So you're talking about ships that can come out of Ukrainian ports and a guaranteed safe passage to take this grain they're not going to get attacked by either side. And as you say, with Turkey as this broker in the middle of it. And uh, it hasn't had huge headlines. It's not a big flashy thing, but it's a great example of how multilateralism can work. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a practical solution and it's been quietly effective. And obviously a huge number of countries that rely on this grain throughout the world have been the direct beneficiaries of it. I've got one final story, which is, I think, you know, the kind of story that we do that nobody else is really going to touch, which is just highlighting um, the, the extraordinary work of all the, of these unsung heroes in, in, in countries that are, in, that are facing difficulties across the world um, who go into their own communities and make a, make a huge difference on a, on a daily basis just by meeting people, helping people, listening to their, to their needs. And this is a, a story from Haiti. Uh, which has been struck in in recent months um, by uh, a deadly cholera outbreak. Um, again, it's a country that was you know suffering huge vulnerability. That's had a, uh, that's gone through a, a profound political crisis. It's a profoundly poor country, as we all know, and has uh, has been s- subject to instability for for decades and decades. But um, come the summer, it it, it was facing a a, uh, a massive security crisis. The uh, a large amount of the country is now under the control of armed gangs. But um, women such as the, the, the woman highlighted in this story, um, Esteline de Mazil, uh, she's just a, a fantastic example of, of a 
UN uh, employee. She's 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 um, employed by the Pan American Health Organization and, and the World Health Organization, um, and lives in one of the most um, troubled areas of the of the capital Port-au-Prince, the Cité Soleil neighborhood, which is essentially gang controlled now. Um, and she, you know, without hyperbole, she she risks her life every day to go out there and to help people and. The, the kind of powerful element of this story is that this was written in the first person, so we produced it um, in her own words. And, uh, you know, it, it just gives a great example of, um, of the way in which the UN quietly but profoundly affects lives everywhere around the world on a daily basis. Well, let's turn to another subject which uh, the UN's not talking about quite so quietly. In fact, it's been a, a major topic. It is, of course, the climate emergency, the climate crisis, and... Laura is, I still think, in our minds, our climate specialist, even though she's hiding from us in Rome. Hey, Laura. You know I'm always going to be here whenever you guys need me. <laughs> uh, what have you picked out as what do you think are the, the key topics? Well, if we start talking about the beginning of the year, right, we had this second part of the sixth ass assessment of the IPCC report, the Intergovernmental Panel of Experts on Climate Change, um, which is a UN panel, right? Their job is getting scientists together to create these reports that can inform political leaders around the world to take decisions regarding different aspects of climate change, adaptation, mitigation, etc. In February and April, they published two parts. One was an adaptation and another one of mitigation. Unfortunately, <laughs> I cannot say they were very positive. This just depicts of how how we're heading to this ecosystem collapse, a species extinction, deadly heat waves and floods and all these things that we have we have continued to hear during 2022. But during the second uh, of these reports, which was more uh, focused on adaptation, there was a very interesting uh, look into uh, what were the things that were also uh, kind of advancing. So we, we found actually eight reasons uh, to to be hopeful uh, about climate, no matter what the situation is right now. One of them is that electric vehicles are on the rise, um, that the coast is going down for a lot of low emission technologies like, like um, solar panels, wind, electric vehicles. It has come down greatly, uh, like even, even down to 85%. Also, uh, mitigation laws, which are uh, mitigation is basically reducing the emissions to mitigate climate change. Uh, they're expanding around the world. This is said by the scientists and uh, that the UN have gotten together. And it's also possible to change this industrial emissions to transform our industry and, and make it more greener. And also focusing on the opportunity that cities have. So this is just uh, one of my favorite stories that we had this year because it really shows not only what is happening, uh, which is a lot of bad things, but also that we as humans are actually looking for solutions and ways to make it better. So for Earth Day, which was also in April, um, we, we got together some of these projects that are part of the decade of ecosystem restoration and um, we were able to see this this compilation of all these amazing things that are happening around the world like for example um in the u.s there are people that are converting old coal mines into carbon sinks by planting trees on top of this destructed land in south america they're restoring watersheds 
and also uh, even working on planting seagrass because we talk about planting trees and the forest but we we think a lot less about our ocean and 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 how much restoring seagrass can also help us absorb more carbon from the atmosphere and 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 combat climate change i think that we're seeing more and more matt that across pretty much all the stories that we do there's a link to climate it's being called a, what it, a threat multiplier we're hearing it from the head of political and peace building rosemary de carlo she's been she's been mentioned in climate they have a special task force which is linked to climate security so it, I, I don't know if you've noticed it growing in recent years the fact that climate is really yeah, being I, overtly mentioned as a as a factor in so many crises i think so and i you know i think also this is this is a question of our of our overall leadership at the un too i think antonio guterres has um, has really made this uh, you know, his kind of make or break uh, standard bearer issue, something we've all tried to do at UN News and throughout the whole of the Department of Global Communications is is stress um, the importance of accentuating the positive elements here, the the, the areas where on a, on, on a local level we are profoundly, or we are seeing people profoundly trying to take climate action on a small scale and to... Um, push the the idea that there are solutions you can take at every single level to try and um, alleviate some of the damage being caused by climate change. If we think about the UN and climate this year, I would have to say that another big highlight that we had was the decision of the General Assembly to declare the access to clean and healthy environment a universal human right. And we saw with the recognition of the right of water how it changed the lives of thousands in different countries that started putting this on their constitutions. Um, so we hope that this is something uh, that's going to happen with the right to a healthy environment that obviously includes uh, not only uh, combating, um, fighting against uh, air pollution, which kills millions of people every year, but also uh making our waters cleaner, our just societies cleaner, the way the, that we live. And in the end, that's all going to help us in the fight against climate change. Well, I think that's it for us for now, for the lid is on for this year. So we wish you a multilingual Happy New Year. So from May and me, Xinyang Kuala. Sana Saida, Am Saeed, Milad Majid. Happy New Year and Merry Christmas. Shukran, Arabic. shukran. Okay. And I would like to say maybe I love you in Arabic. Habbukum in plural. Habbukum for female or hebukum for male so i wish you all love oh. and hub everyone so i can say shukran habibti <laughs> welcome connor oh, and lara feliz año nuevo and matt in jordi uh, have a happy new year pet <laughs> that was beautiful thank you all and we will be very busy i'm sure in 2023 so we will be back next year <laughs>